You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you're joining us for another episode, and we'd like to encourage you to come in and stay a while, listen to what we have to say. If you're a first-time listener, we want to say welcome to you, and uh, we again encourage you to come back and uh, listen again some other time. Uh, for any of you that are out there that haven't done so yet, we'd encourage you to subscribe uh, to our episodes and download those on a regular basis to your mobile device. Uh, you can take us with you anywhere you go, and uh, we release e- episodes each week at Sunday uh, evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and so those will come right to your device if you are uh, subscribed and downloaded to our, our podcast. Also, want to encourage you to go over to our Facebook page, uh, like and follow us there. That helps us get the word out. Also gives you an opportunity to share our podcast because we present those as videos on our Facebook feed there, so you can like those and send those to somebody that you want to, to listen to this without them having to, to find the podcast uh, in, in maybe a podcast app. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to send us an email. We'd love to hear from some of our listeners, um, love to hear where you're listening from um, and maybe what your thoughts are on the podcast. Maybe you have a topic you'd like for us to cover or you you just have something you'd like to comment. So we'd love to hear from you there. And, uh, you know, Dad, I was thinking about it. I had a listener uh, who's a friend of mine reach out to me this week with a prayer request. And so, um, you know, we've never mentioned that on here on the air. And so I thought it'd be worthwhile to say, you know, if you got a prayer need or a prayer request you'd like to, to have us pray with you about, then certainly send us an email. We'll be glad to do that. Uh, we're not going to read your, your issue or your need, uh, you know, on air or anything like that. Uh, we'll just make sure that we're, uh, as there, we're in our private pray, praying time, that we're praying for you mm-hmm. and praying for that need that you have. So if you have something like that, feel free. Again, shoot us an email. You can reach us at bonefireministries at gmail.com. Well, we've completed our study through Jonah, entitled The Depths of Mercy, Jonah and the God of Second Chances, on our last episode. And so if you missed that, I would encourage you to go check out that entire series. We had four episodes that were dedicated to the study of Jonah. And um, I don't know about you, Dad, I found that study to be just a great study. Oh, yeah. A good time going back and looking at the book of Jonah. And on this episode, we're going to be diving into another book of the Bible. In this episode, and probably for the next two episodes, we're going to be studying through the Epistle of Jude. Now, this short series is entitled Contending for the Faith, and as we'll see, uh, that is the main charge given uh, by Jude to the readers of his epistle. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you don't know much about the epistle of Jude, that's okay. Many people don't. You know, Dad, I heard it said as I was uh, studying and reading that uh, many Bible commentators uh, say that the epistle of Jude is one of the most neglected of all the New Testament books. Um, right. And it may be because it's so short. It may be because it's very similar to Second Peter. Um, I really don't know why, but a lot of times uh, not many people have taken the time to read Jude, and that's kind of sad because it's a, it's a very short read. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find the book of Jude. It's in the, in the end of your Bible. It'll be just before uh, Revelation, and the epistle of Jude is a small book. It consists of only one chapter containing 25 verses and a total of 613 words. So it's, again, a very quick read that you can get here. Uh, Jude is considered to be a general epistle, and that's because it's a letter that was written uh, to no identifiable church or geographic region. And so, you know, we have other letters that are named after the churches, like we've done a series on uh, the church at Philippi, and Philippians was a letter to them. Um, and then there's the letter to the church at Corinth, that's First and Second Corinthians. And so this particular one was an address to a specific church or s- specific area. And so we refer to this as a general epistle, which was intended for all the churches and all the believers 
believers uh, in the first century church and is still applicable today. And so albeit small and, and maybe neglected, I believe that there's an important and timely message uh, inside this epistle for us. And so let's dive into it and let's see what Jude has to say about contending for the faith. And so if you got your Bible, I encourage you to turn to the book of Jude, again, a second to last book of the Bible there. And we're going to be looking uh, today for the purpose of this episode, going through the first four verses um, and trying to really dive in and kind of get our understandings about what this letter is about, why it was written. And so, Dad, if you would, uh, would you read the first uh, two verses for us as we kind of get started here in our study? Sure. Uh, verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So in this portion of the letter, this is kind of the greetings or the the, the welcome portion of the letter. And uh, we see a couple important things here that I want to make sure that we point out. Um, we see first here that Jude, uh, Jude being the writer, introduces himself with two descriptors. And these descriptors are, are fairly, fairly important. The first one that he uses is he says that he is a bondservant. Of Christ. Now, Dad, we've talked about this uh, term because it gets used quite frequently. A lot of the New Testament writers, right. uh, particularly Paul in particular, he liked to use uh, that term to describe himself, a bondservant. Mm -hmm. And so we've talked about the meaning, but just as a refresher, uh, the, the word bondservant or slave literally means that one is tied to another. And it, uh, it's a term that speaks to one being subject to the will of his master. And so that's the first descriptor that um, Jude uses to describe himself. The second that he uses is that it says that he is the brother of James. Now, this is important. Uh, descriptor because uh, from this we glean that Jude is actually the half brother of Jesus, mm -hmm. and I, I found that very interesting uh, there that this is uh, Jesus's half brother, and we'll kind of walk through how we can tell that. Uh, Dad, as I was researching this, if you go back to Matthew uh, chapter thirteen verses fifty-five, you'll see where the verse says that Jesus had four brothers: James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And you say, well, wait a minute, Jude's not listed there, but. Uh, what I found out in my studying, Dad, is that uh, Judas there, that last name, uh, the original Hebrew there, when we translate that over to English, sometimes it's translated Judas, sometimes it's translated Jude. Right. And so that was uh, leading to the, the same person there. And what's interesting is our Bible also tells us that, you know, we believe that uh, Jesus' brothers, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, uh, right. at least not before his crucifixion. And I mean, think about this, just imagine... Uh, these brothers probably grew up in the same house as as Jesus did, and they probably uh, you know got into to arguments and tussles with Jesus throughout the years, just as as boys growing up in a in a household, and their mindset had to be Jesus, he he's special, no he's not special, and so I could see where it would be very hard for them to understand and really believe who Jesus is because. They viewed that as just their brother. You know, it's just the person that grew up in the house. He puts his pants on the same way that we do. Right. He, he put his feet under the same table that we did, and they didn't understand the deity uh, of Christ. But it was, but we believe after his resurrection uh, that his brothers became Christians, and they put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we know that really from two uh, scriptures that I found here. You know, Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 14 says that the Lord's brothers were part of the prayer meetings uh, prior to the Pentecost. So remember, mm -hmm. you know, as uh, as Jesus has been 
uh, he's been crucified, he's been resurrected, he's made his appearance, and he's told uh, the believers that the weight and then that helper was going to come, the gift of the Holy Spirit is going to come. And so while they were in that waiting period, uh, the believers were huddled together and they were praying often. And our Bible tells us that uh, his brothers were part of that prayer group. So that leads us to believe that you know they believed as well. That's right. I remember when I was a, a teenage boy, young teenager, there was a boy in my class. He lived not far up the road from me, and he wore a, a shirt, and it had the name Judas written on it. And that's people would call him Judas. And I thought to myself, who in the right mind would want to be called Judas? Because, <laughs> yeah, we think typically of Judas Iscariot, the one yep. that betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Certainly. But uh, I, I found out later, and, you know, as a Christian and matured and studied the Word of God, that uh, the word Judas, you know, it has that negative connotation because of Judas Iscariot. But it really was a good name. The name Jude, as you mentioned, that is the English form of the Greek word Judas, which translates the Hebrew name Judah. And what made the name so popular in the first century was because of Judah, the founder of the tribe of Judah, and because of Judas, the hero of the Maccabean revolt against the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes in the second century B.C. Now, there are several different men named Judas or Jude in the New Testament. We already mentioned Judas Iscariot. But there's also a Judas, son of James, another disciple of Jesus. The apostle Paul, after his conversion, met Ananias at the home of Judas of Damascus. There's Judas Barsabbas, a leader of the early church who joined Paul, Barnabas, and Silas in carrying a letter from the Jerusalem Council to the believers in Antioch. There was Judas of Galilee who founded the Zealots and led an uprising against the Romans in Palestine early in the first century. But as you said, the Jude that we're talking about that wrote this is not any of these men. It is actually the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, you know, I, I'll think of the name Judas in a little bit different light from now on, you know. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting there um, because I, I, too, have that same kind of opinion, you know, uh, people use it out as a negative connotation. They'll say, oh, well, that was a, a, a Judas kiss, you know, someone that is kind of two-timing you, right. uh, you know, or treating you wrong or doing things behind your back. Um, and, and so uh, that that name has been kind of tainted because of, of uh, Judas uh, Iscariot. Uh, but you're right. It, it's a, it, it was a very common name. There's plenty of people that were named Judas, and it was a, a very prominent name and a prestigious name even uh, That's during, right. during that time. So we, we see that this is Jesus' half-brother. Where again, we, we was, I was going through Scripture and kind of saying there was two Scripture references about them becoming believers and gave you the one in Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 14. The other one comes from 1 Corinthians 9, verses 5, uh, and it states that his brothers uh, of the Lord were known to the early church. Uh, so these were people that that obviously were in the know. They were part of kind of the missionary groups that were going out and spreading the gospel and uh, were probably leaders in the early church. And so uh, it's interesting to see uh, Jesus' brothers went from being deniers and, and the folks that said, nah, Jesus, he's nothing special, uh, to after his resurrection that they really caught on fire. And they right. were like, oh, Jesus is special. What I find particularly amazing, Dad, is is that uh, Jude, he didn't inter- introduce himself as Jesus' brother. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you would think that he, he would kind of want to ride on Jesus' coattails, right? And he would mm-hmm. want to say, hey, this is Jude, Jesus' brother, writing this letter to give him some authority to which to write to the church. But he didn't do that. 
Uh-huh. Instead, he used the term bond servant and the brother of James. And what I find amazing about that is the reason why he did that is he was doing it in an act of humility to ultimately exalt the lordship of Christ. Right. Because he didn't feel like he he should it would be right for him to say, "Hey, I'm I'm Jesus's brother, so listen to me." Right. He said, "I'm a servant, I'm a slave, I'm a bond servant of of Jesus, James's brother, and this is what I have to write to you." Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. I like that about Jude there. And James was his his other brother, James was was one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and so so he did connect with him, you know, yeah. uh, so that people would realize who he was. Exactly, you know? yeah. yeah, exactly. So we, we know uh, James is probably more prominent uh, than, than was Jude, and so that's the reference there to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm James's brother, um, because everyone would know James. He had more name recognition um, at the time. So we've learned that uh, Jude is the writer. We believe uh, Jude to be the brother or the half-brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the one writing this letter. But we also see who he's writing the letter to. And we find that there in verse 1. It says, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. That's right. You know, when I think about the word call, I think about the internal call of God, where God awakens the conscience of a sinner to the fact that he has sinned and needs forgiveness and to the fact that Christ can save him. You see, before we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are spiritually dead. You know, a dead person, let's compare spiritual death to physical death, uh, a person that's dead physically, you can go over and talk to that person all you want to, and they won't listen to you. You can take your hand while they're laying in the casket and give them a good shove. They're not going to wake up. They don't feel. They don't uh, They don't hear. They don't speak. And they don't smell. Their, their senses are dead. But when God comes to us through the Holy Spirit, He awakens our spiritual senses that are dead, gives us the capacity to be able to see spiritually, to see that we are sinners separated from God, to see what Jesus has done for us. He gives us the capacity to be able to hear spiritually, to hear the Word of God with deep understanding. Uh, He helps us to even feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit that transfers over to our physical area. He gives us a hunger and a thirst where dead people are not hungry and thirsty. Uh, Neither are those that are spiritually dead, hungry, and thirsty for the spiritual things of God. But he gives them that spiritual hunger and thirst for Jesus, who is the bread and the water of life. He even gives them a sense of smell. You know, we're supposed to emit the fragrance of Christ as believers uh, that are appealing and alluring and attractive to the lost. And people are able to sense God in other people's lives, whereas before they didn't. That wouldn't have happened if God did not call. And that call has come to them and awakened their senses to call them to wake up. You know, we've talked about it before, Matt. Uh, You just can't decide, I'm going to be saved today. You know, if you decide that you're going to be saved today, it must be because God's speaking to your heart, Mm -hmm. letting you know that you're a sinner because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Faith is a gift from God. And so, you know, these people, God had come to them, he'd call them, and he does it through the working of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he enlightened them. I call it, he began the process of spiritual resurrection when he called them, and they came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
That's exactly right, Dad. You know, I love the phrase that he uses here to describe um, his readers, where he says they are preserved in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, when I hear the word preserved, and I, I have to admit right now I'm a little hungry, and so when I hear preserved, I immediately go to preserves, like, you know, the fruit, like a strawberry preserve or, or right. something like that, and then my mind goes to a, a hot biscuit, and I'm putting preserves on it. Yeah. As you can tell, I haven't had anything to eat uh, prior to recording the, the podcast today, but... Um, that word there, when I think about how we use the word preserved just in our everyday language, um, I get excited because I apply that back to what it means to be preserved in Jesus Christ. And I just want you to, our listeners, to think about this for a second. When we say that we're preserving something, we're saving it. We're when when you're preserving something, you're keeping it safe. You're keeping it from spoiling, keeping it from uh, rotting or decaying. Mm. You're prolonging its life. You're reserving it for a future use. Right. And all of these things are true of the child of God that's been preserved in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I think about that peach preserve or strawberry preserve or whatever flavor of preserve that you like and the process that we go through there and trying to keep that from decaying, trying to keep that from uh, from going bad and extending the life so it's useful in the future. That is exactly what God does uh, and what Jesus did for us, preserving us and giving us eternal life so that we have life that's longer lasting and everlasting and ultimately going to be used in the future. Um, I just see a great great correlation there, but it may just be because I'm hungry this morning. (laughs) Yeah. When I think about the word preserved, too, I I think about the word kept. And, And as believers in Christ, we are kept. And you know where we are kept? In the in the hand of God. Jesus said over in John chapter 10 verses 27 and 28, "My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand." Verse 29, "My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one." I think about the fact of that when we become Christians, we are secure in the hand of Jesus and, and his hands in the Father's hand. I remember years ago there was a commercial on TV. I can remember commercials sometimes, and it was an all-state commercial that said, and you're in good hands with all-state. Well, we're in better hands when we're in Jesus' hands because right. not even the devil can snatch us out of his hands. We are kept, we are preserved, and we're preserved for a good purpose, and that's to spend eternity with God in heaven. Amen to that. So we've uh, looked and we see that this is Jude writing uh, the book of Jude or the epistle of Jude, and he is writing to believers. He is writing to the church. He's writing to that first century church. Again, it's not addressed to any particular church or geographical area. This is a general epistle. And so he again, he, he says, I'm writing to believers, those who are called, those who are sanctified. That sanctified means separated, set apart. And that's what we are as believers and those who have been preserved in Jesus Christ. And Dad, I love that, how we're preserved in his hand and nothing can take us out of there. So let's uh, move on and let's figure out what uh, Jude is writing this letter about. Dad, will you read verses three and four for us? Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So apparently, uh, Jude was planning to write a longer letter that was going to focus in on the wonders of our common salvation in and through Jesus Christ. But uh, as, as Jude is writing here, he tells us his plans were interrupted by an urgent issue. You could even say it was an all-out emergency. And so instead of writing what would likely be, uh, what would likely have been a very moving and astute dissertation on salvation, Jude fired off what would be the equivalent of a modern-day email marked for high importance, written in all caps, and in bold red font. Now, Dad, I, I don't, right. I don't know about you, but I've sent a couple of those emails in, in my time. Um, I'm sure if we got listeners who's who's ever worked in a, a business place or maybe in a leadership position, and you needed to communicate something to staff and you needed to get it out quick, you go on that email and it'd be very short and to the point. But you'd put it in all caps, you'd underline it, bold it, and put it in red, and you'd hit send on it. And that's basically the picture that we get here of Jude. Now, Jude didn't have the luxury of email. He's writing on a, on a piece of uh, a paper um, uh, that he's writing at this point to send this letter out. But that was the intensity that he was doing is he said, I can't do what I plan to do because this is more important. I need to get this out to you right now. I need to get this letter to you. Now, mm-hmm. you may be wondering, well, wh- why did what was all the hurry? What was the, the, the reasoning uh, for this. And uh, Jude clearly states his purpose for writing his letter in verse three. He says that he was writing to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith. This was an alarm. This was a, a call to action uh, written to the first century church to contend earnestly for the faith. And this is where we get our series title contending for the faith. You know, Dad, um, as you think about that statement, you're, many people may say, well, what what exactly is he talking about? What does it mean here? And so I dug into the, the word contending to figure out what we're, we're dealing with. And that word uh, from the original Greek uh, word uh, is an athletic term where we get our English word to agonize. And so the picture that he was putting in here is that a, is that of a devoted athlete competing in the Greek games, stretching all of his nerves and his muscles to do his very best to win. Jude was calling his readers to fight and to defend for the faith, the gospel of Christ, with all their strength and with all their energy. That's exactly right. You know, that made me think, you are talking about that, what Paul said near the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So Paul was one, just like Jude, that contended for the faith, that, that stood for the faith. And when we talk about faith, we, we're talking about every aspect of the gospel. And that was under attack at this time. And and Paul stood for the truth of the gospel, and he would not compromise. And he got in the the ring with the Judaizers that were trying to add things uh, to the Christian faith and and trying to add to grace. When you add to grace, you take away from grace. So he got in there and fought, and this is what Jude is saying, hey, this is something that all of us has got to do because our beliefs are under attack. That's exactly right. That's a good point that you made there where it says contend for the faith. That word faith was really encompassing our entire belief system, right? Mm-hmm. Our doctrine, what we believe, the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, the, the what it takes to be saved. Like you said, grace uh, and faith, nothing else. No, don't add anything else to that. Uh, no works. And, and that's what was under attack is our, our framework, our doctrine that we believe and that makes Christianity what it is. Right. Uh, that's what was under attack. And so 
Um, that's the reason why Jude had to send this urgent call to action is because he viewed that there was an all-out attack or assault on our faith or our doctrine. Mm-hmm. And it was coming from false doctrine that was on the rise uh, in the in the early church. And he saw this false doctrine as exactly what it was. It was a threat, and it needed to be combated with contending, fighting, um, putting forth the, your very best effort to, to win uh, was needed in order to save um, our faith. So Jude said, hey, church, wake up, contend for the faith. What I find interesting, Dad, is uh, as he's talking about these uh, false teachers and this false doctrine, and, and in verse 4, he really begins to, to tell us how we can identify what these false teachers look like. And and obviously, I think we can go ahead and say, you know, this book was written to the, the first century church, but I believe that every word that we're reading here is just as applicable to us today. And that we need to take it just just as the same. And so he's saying this is what these false teachers look like then. And I would dare say this is still what those false teachers look like today. That's okay? right. And here's how he described them. The first thing that he used to describe them is he said that they were creepers. All right. Mm-hmm. Creepers and deceivers. And uh, he says that they've look at the wording there in verse four. It says certain men have crept in unnoticed. And so. I use the term creeper. I think everyone knows that's a term we use in our modern language for someone that's real sneaky and trying to sneak around and slither in. And so these were creepers. They were coming in unnoticed. And no doubt they were deceivers because they they came in and no one noticed them. So they probably had some type of deception, right? They probably were putting the front up to look like everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible talks about uh, being wolves in sheep's clothes, right? That's uh, right. Coming into the, the flock. And so they probably were deceiving people and putting forth an effort or a front that they were not actually holding to. And I say that they're creepers and deceivers. Yeah, when I think about... Uh these false teachers creeping into the church, you know, for the purpose of deceiving and leading people astray and eventually leading them out or changing the church from what it was. I think about something that that I experienced when I was a boy. Uh, when I would go to church as a boy, when we would come home from church, mom and dad would be in there busy getting food on the table for lunch. And so I'd have some free time, and I'd cut on the television. That was back when television was a lot more decent to watch. And on Sunday after church, I watched Fred Kirby, the singing cowboy, and those old episodes of The Little Rascals. And then after The Little Rascals would go off, I would watch Tarzan. Now, Tarzan was a real swinger. He was a man that lived in the jungle. He would... uh hold on to vines and swing from tree to tree. He lived in a tree house. He had a wife named Jane. He had a, a son named Boy. That's original name, isn't it? And he had a pet monkey named Cheetah who would do flips when he got excited. I remember one year for Christmas, I wanted a monkey. My dad said, I really tried to find you a monkey. He told me this later on. He said, but I couldn't find a monkey, and so he got me a stuffed Cheetah. <laughs> well, I'm glad he got me a stuffed one. Well, the best thing about Tarzan was that when he got into trouble, he'd beat on his chest and yell, oh, Tarzan would wrestle with the lions and crocodiles, usually only a knife in his hands. But on the show, it was always a tense moment when Tarzan, Jane, and Boy, or maybe someone else that was visiting Tarzan, got into the river to take a swim. When this happened, the deadly crocodiles that were lurking in the bushes along the shore would slip into the water with the intent of doing some serious harm. But Tarzan would always save the day. He would never lose a person. Well, tragically, the same thing can't be said about the church. 
far too often false teachers, as Jude 4 says, have crept in unnoticed, damaging, devastating, and deceiving the body of Christ. And it is this danger that the epistle of Jude addresses. You know, Matt, you and I were talking before this podcast that there's a lot of similarities between Jude's epistle, his letter, and that of Second Peter. That's right. And in Second Peter, Peter the apostle is warning his readership that false teachers are coming. And now, uh, not many years after uh, Peter put out this second epistle, Jude is writing and saying, hey, they are here. That's right. They're here. And so we see this written more in a, in a present tense of uh, no longer is it is it coming, it, it's here, and we need to deal with it, and we need to deal with it through contending with the faith. So again, Jude tells us that you can find these false teachers because they're going to be creepers and deceivers. Um, the next thing that he uses to describe them is he says they're, they're ungodly. Okay, Now, while these men claim to belong to God, they were, in fact, ungodly in their living and in their thinking. Everything about them was ungodly. They, they, they didn't live a Christian life. Now, no doubt, I would, I would dare say that these men presented what, what is in the Bible referred to as a form of godliness, but they actually lack the power of God, godliness that lives in the life of a true child of God. And so they were giving, again, this front, this appearance that they were godly. And Dad, I just get to thinking about it. I still see that going on today in many cases where, where people are aspiring to be godly and Christian, but you don't see anything beyond what they're saying. You don't see right. any fruit to what they're saying. It's just seemingly words. The other thing that uh, Jude says here, that they twisted God's grace. Now, uh, twisting of God's grace, they were actually saying, um, they were taking the God's grace and they were using it and to excuse sinful behavior. And I can imagine they're using the phraseology that many times is still getting used today. Well, there's grace for that, right? Mm -hmm. Many times people will do something wrong and they'll say, well, there's grace for that. Mm -hmm. And while that is true, God's grace is given to us freely and it is given to us in abundance. It is not intended for us to get, to give us you know, a free pass uh, mm -hmm. to do and to sin as ever we want to. And apparently these men were in their teaching that, hey, you can go live whatever way you want to because God's grace is going to cover that. And that's clearly a false teaching. That's not the way God intended his grace to be used. That's right. I, I thought about the, uh, the scripture passage that said, uh, shall we continue to sin that uh, grace, meaning more grace, shall abound? Yep. And I think it was the Apostle Paul. Paul he said, yeah. uh, God forbid yeah. that. No, no, not at that. all. Now, when I think about these false teachers that— were showing up on the scenes, and and Second Peter said they're coming. Jude said they're here. They were forerunners of people called Gnostics. The word Gnostic comes from the word Gnosis, means to know, and they felt like they had a higher spiritual knowledge than the apostles or anyone else, and that they got this from uh, from from God. They knew something that other people didn't know. You get in my clique, in my my group, then I'll share it with you. Well, the Gnostics, uh, they believe that the, in some of the Gnostics, they believe that the spirit was good, the spiritual part of man, but the flesh, the body was bad. And in their belief, the spirit was not touched by the flesh or else it would be contaminated. Therefore, they assumed that they could indulge in every fantasy of the flesh 
since the spirit was not affected. The theory resulted in flagrant immorality and perversion. They twisted the grace of God, claiming that God would overlook any sin because sin was product of the flesh. And so that we've, we've got these people that are already coming in, and uh, we read in other passages in other books of the Bible and the New Testament where these Gnostics are dealt with. And, you know, what was beginning to take place in the first century, uh, what began as a just a small fire became a flame, a roaring flame in the second century as false doctrine really infiltrated the church. That's exactly right. And with this twisting of God's grace, Dad, you know that they were actually twisting Scripture with it, right? Right. They were taking the literal words that are in our Bible today, the passages, and they would use pieces and excerpts of it to support their belief that God's grace is there to cover sin, when obviously it is there to cover sin, but not continual habitual sinning. That's not to characterize the life of, of a Christian. And again, I find that interesting because that same thing is happening today. How many world religions and false religions and cults will still use Scripture from the Bible, pieces, excerpts, to justify certain things that they're doing. It, it, it happens even today on a, on a larger scale. And so they were twisting God's grace, and in doing so, they were also twisting the Scripture in order to make that happen. The, the other thing that I saw here that he describes them, Dad, is that they denied God's truths. Okay, mm-hmm. it says that they that that last uh, part of verse four there. Let's uh, look at that together. It says they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, it's it's written there as if that's two people, but the way that that was written is, is not referring to two people. Of course, it's referring to one person. And the way that Greeks would write at that time is they would re- do a double reference um, in order to, to, to refer to one person. So this is referring to, to God the Father, uh, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in one. But they, they denied the deity of Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would say stuff <clears throat> like we still hear today. Oh yeah, we 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 know Jesus. We believe in Jesus. He was a good man and he was a great teacher. But they stopped short of saying that he was the eternal God in human flesh. And that same thing is still happening today all right. over the place where people want to say, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm down with Jesus. I believe Jesus. I know who Jesus is." And he's oh, he's a great teacher. Uh, you look at even, again, some of the world religions, they'll acknowledge Jesus and that he was a, a prophet and a great teacher, but they don't believe that he was who he is, which is the Son of God and was actually God in human flesh, total deity. Uh, that's right. Of course, as you know, and you perhaps heard you that are in the podcast audience, that Muslims, they they have a respect for Jesus. You know, they see him as a prophet, a great teacher, as you said, but not the Son of God, you know. And also Hindus, if you have to be careful, I understand, when you're preaching in India, you know, and you're talking about Jesus being uh, the Son of God, well, they will accept the fact that he's God, but yet for the Hindu, he's just one of many gods, one of many gods. But when you get down to the fact to say he is the one and only God, that's that's where they, they step away if they're not willing to recant of their Hindu beliefs, these false beliefs of this religion. But, you know, sad to say there are people in the church today that do not believe correctly about Jesus. Uh, Take, for instance, uh, the Mormons. Now, we consider that to be a cult. But you know why? Because the Jesus that they talk about is not the Jesus of the Bible, because they believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. (laughs) 
That is absolutely false. Satan is an angel uh, that was turned into become a demon when he rebelled against God. He was a created person. Jesus is the creator. That's all in the scripture. And then you've got people even uh, that have slipped into churches, uh, the mainline denominational churches that do not believe in the deity of Jesus. Hey, if you say that Jesus was not 100% uh, human and 100% God, a God-man, if you deny either part of that, then you're not worshiping the same Jesus of the Bible. Jesus is fully God and fully man. To say that he was not fully God on earth is to take away from the deity of Jesus. That's and right. I'll tell you what, there's there's cults out here today. I call them cults. They, they go under the name of Christianity. Folks, I want to tell you what, you need to research Bethel Church on the internet out there in California where a lot of this praise and worship music comes from we've made a decision at our church i talked with the the uh, music minister we're not singing their music anymore because we're not going to support a cult we're not going to support what we think of is false teaching and i say that it leans on the border of a cult but false teaching for sure that's exactly right dad you hit on several things that i want to follow up on so when you were talking about um, India and and Hindus and and the fact that they believe in multiple gods and that you know you say Jesus and they're like okay yeah we'll believe Jesus because he's just one of many and we've got folks that are listening probably to this very podcast that are in India because we have a, a fairly good listener yeah. uh, group from India and when I realized early on as we were doing our podcast that we were getting a lot of uh, likes and a lot of listens from India and I I wasn't exactly sure you know what was going on there and then as i began to see some comments and things i realized that's exactly what was happening people were listening and they were like oh yeah we, we're down with jesus he's just one of the other gods and so we purposely did an episode uh, and i don't remember which number it is but we did an episode on who is jesus right and really went in hard to say this is who jesus christ is and proclaim that jesus christ is the one and only true God. And so I just want to put that plug in again there, because we've got folks who are listening probably again to this episode from India, and you may be thinking that Jesus is just another one of those gods. He's not. He's the only one true God. And if you listen to our podcast long enough, you'll get to learn all about this one true God, and we hope that you come to a relationship with him. The other thing, Dad, that you said that I want to touch on is you mentioned Mormons, and I'm going to throw the Jehovah's Witness in there as well, mm-hmm. yeah. because in both cases, they will come knock on your door. Um, and they will use the very same scripture that is in this Bible that I'm holding here to try and justify what they're telling you. And it, it's exactly what we were just talking about with twisting of the scriptures to support the twisting of God's grace. And the, they do the same exact thing, Jehovah's Witness and Mormons. They'll, they'll say, well, oh, in Matthew or in such and such, they'll reference the books of the Bible and scripture and in order to try and lure people in to say, oh, well, they, they're they're using scripture. That must be, they must be talking about the same thing that that I know of. And that's why it's so important for people to understand and to get into the word and actually read. Because if you're not careful, you can easily be led astray because they're just going to pick pieces of verses and parts of verses and or just books or just certain passages and use those. And if you don't know the word of God and you haven't hidden it in your heart, mm-hmm. then you're not going to know the difference. And that's why it's so important. That's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast to begin with is one, we wanted to get the, the good news of Jesus Christ as far as we possibly could on the airways of the internet. But we also wanted to, to help believers, uh, people who are already Christians, to dig deeper and to learn more and to know more about Jesus Christ. Christ and about this wonderful book that we have in front of us, which is his word. You know, I, I want to go back to uh, something that you mentioned a while ago, Matt, in verse three, where we 
have been exhorted by Jude to contend earnestly for the faith. I've been reading here lately about one of the failures of the church, and I I contest to the fact that it is a failure in in many churches, and, and I've not done as well myself with this, and I hope to do better. But we need in our church to be teaching apologetics. Mm. And uh, apologetics, the definition in the dictionary is reasoned arguments or writings in justification of something, typically a theory or religious doctrine. And so, you know, we need to be teaching our young people and especially new believers how to defend their faith when people attack uh, the faith of the Word of God and what the Scripture plainly teaches, how to, uh, with a reasonable argument, to be able to stand our ground. And we've got uh, kids today that, you know, come all the way through our youth program. I hate it uh, uh, every year in a way. I mean, I love seeing the kids grow up to church and hand them their Bible, you know, on graduate recognition Sunday. But it's just so sad because I knew and I know in many instances that they're going to go away to college and they're going to forget about their their church and, and their spiritual roots. And it might be years before they return to the Lord. And sometimes they go off on tangents and, and go to, to churches when they do go to church that don't teach the true gospel. And and folks, you've got to be able to know the gospel well enough to be able to recognize false gospel. And, and that's what we've got to do, put more emphasis on teaching what the gospel truly is so that people are familiar with it, these believers in Christ, so they won't be misled, particularly our young people. Mm. And uh, we're, we're fixing to do something on uh, Sunday evening, beginning next Sunday evening. We're going to do Ken Ham's uh, work called Foundations. It's about 10 years old. We're going to watch these videos because, you know, a lot of people deny the truth of Genesis 1 through 11. You deny the truth of Genesis 1 through 11, then, uh, folks, how can you believe the rest of the Bible? Our kids need to be able to be able to stand up for what the Bible teaches to science professors or whatever they're going to encounter when they leave the church, when they leave and go off to college. That's exactly right, Dad. And, you know, that's a, a good segue into kind of the, my final point, and that's going to bring us back around to that conversation, mm-hmm. is why are we studying the book of Jude? Why is this important? And, uh, Dad, what you're talking about right now is is the reason why we're doing it, is, is I believe firmly, is as I sit back and kind of look around, that we have false teaching and we have heretical doctrine and we have all heresy on the rise uh, in our churches, in the mainstream denominations, even in our, we're Southern Baptists. I'm almost ashamed to say that now. Um, we've got it rising in Southern Baptists. It's it's rising in in Methodists. It's rising everywhere in all these mainstream <laughs> denominations where this false teaching and false doctrine is on the rise. And so that's why we're doing it is because we got to get the message out that people need to be able to identify false teaching. They need to understand what's right from wrong in terms of use and context of Scripture, and they need to be able to defend their their position on that. And I found it. I found this, uh, we read often behind Warren Wearsby, he's a Bible commentator, and this is, uh, I don't know if he actually came up with this, but I'm going to give him credit for this quote. He says it this way, he says, it has been said that the church is always one generation short of extinction. If our generation fails to guard the truth, to contend for the faith, and to entrust it to our children, then that will be the end. 
And if you really think about it, that's so true, right? I mean, it's been generation after generation. We've had to pass down the teachings and the doctrine of Christianity, and it has to be transferred in its whole, in its entirety. And if it's not, then it's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest with you, Dad, I feel, I guess, uh, convicted and compelled that we're watching a part of our doctrine, a Christian doctrine, is falling apart right now. Mm-hmm. And we have attacks coming externally mm-hmm. from those who are non-believers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're throwing rocks at Christianity all day, every day. Mm-hmm. The government is, non-believers, they want Christians out of here. But what's sad is even inside the church, we've got the rise of this heretical doctrine. It's coming in our music. It's coming in our, our Bible studies. It, it's, it's, it's rising everywhere around us. And so that's why this is important is we need to get in and to study God's word and understand what it says, hide its word in our hearts. And uh, because doctrine matters, I found it interesting that in the pastoral epistles alone, the word doctrine is used 16 times Mm -hmm. in the New Testament, just in those uh, pastoral epistles. Doctrine matters. It's important. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't have good sound doctrine, then your belief system, that's the foundation, your belief system is going to crumble. Mm -hmm. And right now, I think there's an attack on sound doctrine in our church, and it's Mm -hmm. coming from all different angles. And what's so hard is, is exactly the way that it showed up here when Jude was writing. It's coming in unnoticed. Mm -hmm. It's coming in, and it's so deceptive because it looks right. It looks like it it, it feels right. It, It seems like it's good. And we, you know, just we're we're, not, we're being deceived uh, by by what's creeping into our our, our doctrine and our churches. And um, I think the other thing that's been a, a harm to us, Dad, you're talking about teaching people apologetics, is uh, I, the statement I've heard it say before is, "Well, you can you can contend for the faith, but don't be contentious." All right, think about that statement. You can contend for the faith. But don't be contentious. Basically, that's someone saying, well, you can contend for the faith, but you don't need to be fighting over it and you don't need to be accusing people. We've gotten to a position now, and it may be just uh, the way that society is developing or it may be this millennial mindset that's growing, is that we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Mm -hmm. And we as Christian people, we shouldn't talk badly about someone else. And that's true. But what is not true is if there is all-out blatant heresy, if there is all-out blatant false doctrine and false teaching going on, we need to call it out. And we right. need to say that's wrong. And I think that uh, churches and, and and the church as a whole in the last several years has been in this position of, we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. We don't want, we're, it's not our place to judge. You know, well, they mean well. Um, I think they did it with the right intent. And all the time, this false teaching is just creeping in, creeping in, creeping in. And it's going to get to the point, as, as um, uh, Wearsby said here, that uh, it's going to end. Our faith's going to end. Yeah, you've heard the expression before, judge not lest you be judged. And so people take that to mean, well, uh, we can never uh, exercise our opinion about whether something is right or wrong, for that would be judging. Look, uh, you've got to keep in mind what the Scriptures really teach us about judging. It's okay to judge those inside the church. Sure. It's okay. There are scriptures that talk about that. We have to we have to take a stand. And if if you like the old saying is now here's an old saying if you uh, if you don't stand for something you'll fall for everything. That's you right. Know, if you don't stand for for something you'll fall for everything. So we've got to take a stand. I, it just really uh, as a pastor who's concerned about our our young people 
and our teenagers and our young adults, it, it just really bothers me that a, a lot of Christian parents will allow their children uh, to, instead of coming to church with them, because the, the church down the road has more rock and roll music that appeals to uh, the youth, they'll allow their, their children to go there and not give any consideration to what is being taught in that church. You know, and the kids might play that music in the house and say, "Oh, that music sounds okay," but uh, the the music oftentimes in in these churches that are they're infiltrated with false teachers, they're not. That music is not necessary for the worship of God. It's the leading up. It's used for the leading up of a religious experience to bring people to the point to listen to that false teacher, folks. I'll tell you what, if you're a Christian parent, your kids are saying, I don't want to go to your church, mom and dad. I want to go, and you think your church is teaching the right doctrine, and they're going down to a church that has no label in front of it. Hey, I'm, I, I worry about these churches that won't identify themselves as what they are, Baptists, that they're just called a church. You know, uh, Bethel Church in California doesn't have a denominational label in front of it. There are a lot of denomination, there are a lot of denominational churches that are taking the word Baptist or whatever off their church. And and they're just all just uh, meshed together. You need to be aware of where your kids are going and what they're listening to. Mm. Doctrine is important. If you don't, they're going to be led down the, the tube and to a false doctrine somewhere. That's right. And, you know, I think for most of our listeners, you, you may be like me. And, and I, throughout time, have been a very easy and quick to call false teachers that I see on TV false teachers, right? Because they're just so outlandish, right? Mm-hmm. The person that says, hey, send me $1,000 and, you know, all your troubles are going to go away. It's very easy for us to look at that and say, oh, he's a false teacher. What's harder for us to do is to look at maybe the church down the road or maybe the church that's in our community or maybe it's a, you know, a church that's growing national popularity and to really assess that critically and say, is is their teaching correct and appropriate? And that's where I have been very shy to, to really call someone out and say, that's false teaching. That's not right. But I've been convicted by that, that I really need to look harder and look at the teaching. You know, if you go to church every Sunday and every single message is just a, a feel-good motivational speech about how you can be a better person, while those messages are sometimes useful and, and, and definitely we should grow as Christians, that's not the gospel. If they're not teaching about the blood, if they're not teaching about the cross, if they're not teaching about sin and the forgiveness of sin and the grace of God, if those things aren't uh, rooted in the music and in the preaching, then that's probably a good first sign to say something's off with their doctrine. They're not right. teaching they're not teaching the whole thing. If it's all about how I can be a better person and I can have better relationships with people and I can do good, um, again, not necessarily anything wrong with those, but that's not the gospel. That's not the whole gospel. And you can't have that Sunday after Sunday and never dive into the teachings of this word. And uh, and I think that's where, at least myself, I've been very hesitant to say, well, you know, that's a new modern church and they're reaching people. And, and so I don't want to call it bad. Because I don't want to accuse, you know, a fellow Christian and, and a fellow a, a, a pastor and say he's doing something wrong. But now I've gotten to the point where, no, I need to critically look at what they're preaching. I need to look at what they're teaching, what their church's beliefs are. And if it doesn't align, then I need to say something right. and say, this isn't right. It doesn't feel right. And uh, and, and and alert other people, because I believe there's so many people that are they're being uh 
uh, creepily swept away, uh, deceived uh, by this because they're not paying attention. And so, yeah, guys, we, we're running a little long with this podcast, but this is is what you're going to hear in this short series um, about contending for the faith. We got a real issue. Uh, it was a real issue in the first century church, and it's a real issue now. And I would dare say that we've got probably just as much, if not more, uh, false teaching and, and false doctrine that's out and about um, and that is uh, interwove into our Christian uh, life that we need to be able to sort through and be able to tell what's right from wrong and what's truth from error. And so we're going to be addressing that through the study of Contending for the Faith. I hope that you'll come through this series and, and be able to change your position, uh, similar to what I've done, where I've got to the point where, you know, I'm not going to go out and, and protest in front of someone and picket their, in front of their church or get into a physical fight over something. Uh, but I do want to make sure that I am carefully uh, reviewing what churches are doing, what music I'm listening to, is their doctrine sound, does it align with the Scripture, is it full uh, of, of everything that the Bible is full of, um, and if it's not, then I want to make sure that I steer myself and my family and, the, and my friends and people that I know away from that so that they're not led astray. So that's that's the goal. That's the reason why we're looking at, at Jude. Uh, that's the reason why we're doing uh, this episode or this series on contending for the faith is because uh, just as Jude's sounding the alarm, I'm sounding an alarm. Dad, you're sounding the alarm right, right. now. Uh, we've got a uh, we've got an issue, and we need to come and we need to rise to it, and we need to contend for the faith because, as Wearsby said, uh, I'm assuming that's him that said it. We're just one generation away that if we don't pass this along appropriately, the whole thing's going to fall apart. And mm-hmm. uh, we're very close to that. Uh, I'm afraid uh, we've been lazy for too long, too many years. We've let things slide by, and we're getting ready to pay the consequences for it uh, very soon. Right. So, Dad, uh, if you would, pray us out of here. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to uh, talk today, to introduce our, our podcast audience, Lord, to this great epistle, the Epistle of Jude, which, as we talked about, is oftentimes uh, one of the least read books of of the New Testament, but Lord, it has a powerful message. God, I pray that you would uh, help us to, now that we're aware of the fact that false teachers are here, Lord, to keep our eyes open, Lord, to find out what the true gospel is, to get so familiar with it that we'll be able to detect uh, false teachers and their false doctrines when we hear them. Help us, Lord, to do a better job in the church in teaching apologetics uh, to all people, especially our young people today that are challenged on so many levels. And God, I pray for those that have already been deceived and, Lord, have taken their eyes off the true gospel. They've been mesmerized by the music today, and they're not listening to the message, but yet they are listening. After they hear it repeatedly, it is it is slowly changing them in their mind. Help them, our Heavenly Father, to be like the Berean Christians, uh, these that are out in the different churches today, uh, to to always take what someone says and to, and to put it to the test of Scripture. We ask all this in Jesus' name. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.